we want people who have really pushed themselves to the limit, maybe failed, but uh, we want to see how you've picked yourself up, learned from that, um, and moved on. Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi folks, Avinash over here. Welcome to another exciting episode of the MBA Jam. I say exciting because I'm truly excited about today's guest. Not only is he someone who knows the most about MBA admissions as compared to all our previous guests, but he's also someone who is a podcast nut as he describes it. This is a good and a bad thing for me. <laughs> the good is that he understands you, the audience, listening to this podcast. The bad is that he probably knows the mistakes I'm going to make in this interview. But I guess it's all good. Today's guest is Conrad Chua. Conrad is the head of MBA admissions, marketing and recruitment at Judge Business School at Cambridge University. Conrad also runs a personal blog called CambridgeMBAAdmissions.com where he writes more about MBA admission processes and the perspectives from the Judge Business School. Conrad, welcome to the show. It's, it's an honor, Avinash, and um, thank you very much for having me on the show, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you and to your listeners. <laughs> no problem. Thanks a lot um, once again for accepting to come on the show. And to begin with, Conrad, what, what else would you like to add to my introduction about you? Um, I think the, the, you know, you, you've covered quite a lot of the ground. Um, I'm originally from Singapore. Uh, that's where I grew up. I studied there. Uh, I did my undergrad in the U.S., uh, came, went back to Singapore, uh, worked for quite a long time in the uh, public sector, actually. Um, and I, I did you know, the usual kind of rotations. It's kind of like a leadership rotation program, uh, but at the, you know, at the uh, sort of undergrad level. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there, learned a lot. Um, Singapore is quite a small place, but the, the public sector is, you know, all, all embracing. And so I got to learn a lot about things like defense, transportation, uh, manpower. And I was really happy when, you know, the Singapore Public Service sent me to study uh, a, master, a Sloan Masters in Management at the London Business School about for a year. And uh, yeah, that, that was a great time for me. Um, I moved to the UK. It's, it's incredible. It's almost like it, just yesterday, but it's uh, about eight, eight years now uh, when uh, my wife came over to do a PhD. And uh, I've been with the judge for about seven or eight years now. Wow, that's, that's, that's great. That's a long time. I mean, I, so I gather that you pretty much love what you do right now. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 love the, I love the work, you know, so... Um, Cambridge is, is a great place to, to work. It's, um, it's a place where you can feel the kind of intellectual excitement uh, everywhere you, you go. And so uh, one of the things that you know, my team, they, they know about me is that uh, at lunchtime, I try to go out for a walk, maybe you know, mm -hmm. 20, 30 minutes. It's great. It just clears your head. But it also means you know, I just get to remind myself that about the kind of uh, city and the kind of university that, that I'm working in and the kind of um, rich intellectual history that, that I'm very, very honored to be part of. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely concur. I've, I've probably been to Cambridge just um, a couple of times, uh, once just to pass through to go somewhere else um, because I live in London. And I completely agree. You know, once you walk on the streets of Cambridge, it's it's like intellectual is in the air <laughs> and sometimes I feel like I'm missing out that aspect in London. The nerdy part of me gets excited. <laughs> well, maybe, um, you know, in the future we could tempt you to come and visit Cambridge and maybe stay a bit longer than before. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That would, that would be great. Uh, although I'm not really sure how my wife will accept that. She just loves London. <laughs> well, Cambridge is also a great uh, place for families, you know, so um, I, I think about like something like 30% of our MBA students here in Cambridge bring families along, so that could be partners, a lot of times that's uh, the young children as well, um, so it's, it's a great sort of a, an, uh, an environment, a great thing to have because, you know, I think our students tend to do better if they know that uh, if they've got their families with them and if they know that their families are are in an environment where 
the, the the needs are well taken care of. That's really interesting. So, so I mean, because I know we're probably digging into details a little bit, but it's but it's but it's fine. Um, uh, do you, do you think that's something that um, is is a key a criteria point for uh, applicants who are considering doing MBA to, you know, have a proper place for their family? So how many families do you get versus you know singles or or youngsters that want to come to Cambridge? Is that like uh, is that something specific you look for or you see it as a pattern? Well, I think. Um it's probably a function of the fact that, first of all, in the Cambridge MBA, we are looking for people with at least three years of work experience. And the average age of our MBAs is about 29 to 30 years old. So it's a lot, it's a bit more mature than, say, what you'll find in a US uh, MBA program. So at that kind of age range, you'd, ex- you know, there, there is a better, much higher chance of an MBA applicant. Uh, who is already has um, a family, right? Exactly. And if you've got that, yeah. If you've got that kind of demographic, then um, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of times our, uh, the families will be quite young. You know, if they've got children, they tend to be quite young. So it's good um, for you know a student to have their family with them. Um, keeps their mind uh, at ease in a way, you know. Um, Although we also do have some students, and, and I know that that can be quite tough for, for them at times, where they decide, well, I'm going to come here and focus 100% on my studies, on my career. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely fair point. I think I think it's, it's a very good and different perspective because I studied MBA in London, and I could see that's a good mix. Um, of you know those with families and don't those without families but at the end of the day those with families also some of them made a conscious decision to move to London just for that one year and actually go back um, to to some other places in the UK but I can see that Cambridge probably offers that flexibility off the bat yeah that's right Great, great, perfect. So, I mean, going back a few steps, uh, because since we jumped into details uh, quite quickly, um, how did you get started in MBA recruitment and, and why? Oh, I, I just stumbled upon it, really. Um, so when I moved to the UK with my wife, you know, my wife was studying and um, I started doing some independent consulting work on my own, right? So um, browsing up some contacts I had, from my one year here in the UK, uh, doing some independent consulting work with the Singapore government. Uh, but I got to know one of the uh, Cambridge MBA alums uh, who was still in the Cambridge area, um, got to work with her on a few things. And for, through her, I got to understand a lot about the values, the ethos of the business school and of the MBA program itself. Um, I, I, it, they, they all they resonated with me, very strongly with me. And so... When this position, uh, at the time it was the head of just the uh, marketing and admissions for the full-time MBA program, when that got advertised, it just feel, felt like a natural thing to, for me to do, to apply. And I was really grateful that I, I got accepted. Great, great. So um, what, what gets you the most excited about the work that you're doing right now? Um, I get really excited when I come in every day. I get to work with my team. So I now have um, the marketing team. So this is the team that reaches out to prospective MBA candidates. And, you know, each year we get about 1,200 maybe um, applications. Um, I also work with the admissions team. And these are the guys who will be looking after the whole admissions process once people have submitted an application. So shortlist reading the applications, shortlisting people for interviews. And once people get an offer, working through the whole uh, enrollment process. And then lastly, I've got the uh, careers team, and these are the guys who will be working with students once they're here, uh, improving their ca- their career skills, but also working with employers to get them interested and get them to understand a lot more about the Cambridge MBA. So that kind of um, working environment is great. I-, I love it. And what kind of pulls everything together for me and for my teams um, is really the the stories of the students that come in, right? And mm-hmm. we, it's, we feel like we are helping them write 
a new chapter in their lives because people come in with all kinds of different kinds of backgrounds, different kinds of aspirations. Everybody gets touched in some way um, uh, in their one year here. They get transformed. The environment, the people that they meet, the kind of experiences that they, they, they get, um, they, it inspires them and they, people get to do amazing things. And so at the end of the year, um, or even after that, when I speak to them as alums, I, I always remember what they wrote in their application forms, and I just think, wow, what a you know, what a great change that they've they've had. And I, you know, I myself, my team members, we feel very privileged to have been at least with them for that one year when so much changed in their lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there's some great points over there. So first things, um, you mentioned you get about like thousand two hundred uh, applications. How many of them are successful? What's what's a bad size? So we get about, this year we'll get about 1,200 applications, we think. And, you know, we will typically invite one-third of applications mm -hmm. uh, for an interview. And one of the things that's quite different um, in Cambridge, actually I think we're the only school that does this, is that we get our faculty to do the interviews. So we don't ask alumni, we don't ask uh, the admissions team, or we don't even ask, we don't ask current students to do it. It's, it's our faculty. Hmm. And um, it, it's a huge undertaking for the for our faculty because each interview is going to be about thirty minutes, whether that's face to face uh, on campus or over Skype. But it's something that we've we've done uh, from the very first year we we admitted an MBA class. And what that does for us is that you know our faculty who've taught on the MBA for many years, they're able to figure out you know, what kind of um, level an MBA student should be at, right, to become a Cambridge mm -hmm. MBA. And, and to me, that, that's really important because once we admit somebody, um, our relationship with that person is not just for one year, but it's really for life because that person becomes an alum of Cambridge. It becomes an alum of the business school, of the MBA program, but also of the university. So there's really high standards that we need to make sure we, uh, we adhere to you know, when we admit students. And our faculty play such a great role in that because they can see, is this, they can, they can, you know, through the interview they can think, is this somebody that would be a great joy to teach? Is this someone who's going to be um, a great positive influence, uh, have incredible impact in the classroom? And is this somebody who, you know, I think will be able to keep up that Cambridge brand or keep up those Cambridge... Uh, tradition of excellence, even after they've graduated. So that's where we place a lot of emphasis on our faculty who do all those interviews for us. I see, I see. So out of 1,200, let's say, uh, that's number one third, uh, go on to the interview. And how many rounds of interviews do you have? And are they structured or are they left to the faculty to decide, um, you know, what kind of questions they want to ask? Um, we, we only have one round of interviews, yeah, mm -hmm. um, but I think if you compare to other schools, what, what happens is we typically invite far fewer people to interview, so we are quite stringent on the um, uh, shortlisting or the reading stage. And in terms of the interview itself, we ask faculty, you know, to, to, to give us their sense of, on, on several factors, mm -hmm. right, um, things like... Um, intellectual contribution, knowledge about Cambridge, um, the kind of personal impact and fit with the MBA program. But we leave it up to the faculty to figure out, you know, what kind of questions they can come up, they, they should ask uh, that individual person. I see, I see. So, so basically all you're trying to assess is how do the candidates fall according to different themes that you think are important, but how the faculty evaluates is totally up to them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we give them some guidelines, but yeah. you know, our faculty are just really very experienced in this. So they, they've got their own style. They, they, they know what to ask, and we, we leave it with them. Yeah. Actually, uh, one thing which, which I'm conscious is the fact that even before they're invited for interview, you know, candidates do, do submit uh, quite an extensive application, like, you know, write the essay, etc. So what are some of the things you look for in, in the application itself? Well, we look for the basics, so we, we're looking for strong 
uh, academic ability. So that's why uh, we accept both GMAT and GRE. We're looking for people who can do well on, on either one of those scores. We look at your undergraduate or higher degrees. Um, how well did you do in, you know, throughout, throughout your time? Um, then we look at your work experience. You know, have you demonstrated that you've performed above your cohort? Have you done something uh, quite remarkable? And for us, we don't really have, I would say, an industry bias. So we, we, we look at people, we've taken people from the usual suspects, finance, consulting, uh, in industry. But we've taken people from family businesses, the military, professional sports, performing arts, you know, public organizations, a, a really wide range of things. Most important thing is we want to see that these guys have, everybody has had, has excelled in whatever they've done, right? Yeah. Then we look at your essays, and from there we really want to find out a bit more about where your career, has, where you feel your career has developed till, till this point, where you want, where you feel you want your career to develop. And we really want to see how well you, understand what an MBA is, what an MBA can do for you, but also what an MBA can't do for you and what you need to be doing on your own um, to make yourself a better leader um, and or to make a particular career transition. Yeah. We ask yeah. for, we ask, yeah. Um, we also ask for one uh, reference. So we, mm. we ask for a supervisor reference and this could be a current supervisor or someone who supervised you in the past. And from there, we're really looking at how uh, you have worked in teams. Because for us, one of the very strong things that we, we feel very uh, passionately about is that future leaders, or actually leaders of the uh, right now, need to be people who uh, can build teams, can lead teams, but also can be great team, team players themselves. So that's what we look for in your essays, but also in your, in your reference. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So, how many essays are there at Cambridge? Um, at the moment, we've got three. Okay, and which ones are those? Are they like generic? Or are they? Do you have like some really funky, specific Cambridge questions? <laughs> well, we've got one question about um, uh, your career direction, mm -hmm. right? And why Cambridge? Uh, the second question is about how to talk talk to us about how you've worked in teams, some kind of example of teamwork before. And the third one, um, I'm not sure if it's a funky question or not, but we asked you to describe your, your most spectacular failure and what, how, how you bounce back from that. And that's really because um, one of the things that we've, we feel to, um, leaders need uh, and MBAs need is resilience. And so we want, to, we want people who have really push themselves to the limit, maybe failed, but uh, we want to see how you've picked yourself up, learned from that, um, and moved on, you know? So yeah. that's that's a really the, the, the back, background behind that question. Yeah, it's very interesting um, because, yeah, if I remember correctly, you know, back in the days when I was applying for MBA, um, or it, it also depends upon the kind of culture you come from. I'm, I'm from India, so failing is something that's looked at um, in a very different manner as opposed to failing in some other uh, places. It's only when I did my MBA and started working outside India is when I discovered the benefits of failing because failing just meant that I was able to push myself a little bit more um, and, and not fear uh, failing. So it's it's really interesting that you actually consider that aspect um, in in the MBA application process. Yeah, and actually, I mean that I, I really enjoy reading these um, uh, essay questions because it because really, it gives a very deep insight um, into a person's personality. Because regardless of culture, whatever people what, what people write there gives an indication about what they feel. Um, failure is or how they have failed in what constitutes a failure um, for them up to the, at that point. And so that, that gives people, uh, gives, gives us a sense of what they hold quite dear to them. And how they pick themselves up really tells us a lot about their own character and their resilience. So um, that's a, a question we've had for, I don't know, 
four four years now, and it's a very I, I think it's a really great question. We we get very good insights into people um, um, into people's lives, into people's personalities when we read those, that that question. Absolutely, and and I think the other aspect it might highlight is it allows people to reveal their vulnerabilities a little bit more because generally you know everyone wants to come across as pretty strong um, but failure talking about failure just means it's it's okay to accept um, you know some vulnerability aspects somewhere which which means they're probably able to gain a lot more holistically after that as well yeah, that's that, that's a good point. I've never I've never really thought about that from that point, but um, I, I think I can see where you're coming from. So thank thank you very much for articulating it in that. Way. <laughs> good 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 to know that I've had some impact on you after years of experience. Great. <laughs> um, Great. Okay. So, so yeah. Once, I think I think you're in a pretty unique position because you're not just involved in, you know, in the early stages of a person's uh, application, but also you know as they go into making career decisions. And as you mentioned, you've also been in touch with some of them after they have finished AMB and after they've been in Alum, uh, for for a while. So. According to you, what are some of the biggest learnings that people have taken from that journey? Because, you know, when you're drafting an application, there is obviously a thought process that goes on. But as you do MBA, as you gain more experience, as you gain more perspective, sometimes you change your career completely. Sometimes you push towards the dreams you had much harder. According to you, what what are some of your learning experiences you have seen, you know, from end-to-end journey of someone who is thinking they want to do something to going on to actually doing something after that? I think the number one uh, learning point is that each student has their own story to tell. So you shouldn't decide your career based on um, what you feel an MBA should be doing or what you feel or what other what you what you see other classmates are doing? So, um, I've seen people get that first job and they just hated it, right? You know, they just hated it. And the reason they 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 were so unhappy is really because they never they hadn't thought through from the beginning what it is that they want to do. What is yeah. what kind of environment um, would make them really happy? Really. Um, excel in so they might have been making a lot of career choices based on what they see other people are doing and it could be based on what other cambridge mbas are doing or what other mbas are doing in general so yeah. i think that's the first thing which is don't get don't jump onto the bandwagon right don't just apply to those the usual suspects just because you think that's what an mba should be doing mm-hmm. And I think the second um, lesson would be don't be afraid to say that something is not right for you. Mm-hmm. Just as it's important for you to um, be able to figure out what is the right thing, it's also really important to figure out what's the wrong thing. And there's no value judgment involved in that. You just have to be quite dispassionate about it and think, all right, finance you know everybody seems to be going in for that but that's not the right environment i just need to focus on myself right so that's number two i think the third part is and this may be something which i see lots of mba students growing into um throughout the year and 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 continue to do so after they graduate is making a career switch or making a career transition it's not just about you um, I know this sounds really contradictory based on what I said before, but it's also about you know you having to speak to other people, being quite open about um, what you want, what you don't want, listening, asking people for their advice, right? So the um, the MBA class is a great resource because people come from so many different backgrounds. But on the other hand, it's a great it's also a great resource because people will be. Um, if you can get their trust, if both of you, both you know, you and your other classmates can learn to trust each other, you get incredibly valuable insights into your own career. 
people will be, I, I've seen students tell their classmates, like, why are you doing this? What, you know, you, you're capable of so much more. Have you thought about ABC? And sometimes, you know, the student may not be able to make that kind of transition immediately after the, um, after the MBA, but that kind of conversation sets them on a different path. And three, four years later, you know, I see these guys either setting up their own company, realizing that they can do um, amazing things in different different countries that they never thought of before. And so I think looking at the, you know, the eight or nine classes that I've seen graduate, it's really important that people have to, first of all, focus A, on themselves, strike a balance between focusing on themselves in terms of what they want, what, what, what they, they don't want, but also being very open to uh, speak to inputs from the, their classmates, uh, from people that they that they trust, right? And getting that kind of feedback about what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, great, great point. Because, you know, talking about um, the last point of how, you know, MBA students are also able to help each other out. Um, it would be great to hear your perspective on one particular point. So as I've spoken to a few people now who have done their MBM, you know, one common perspective I've gotten from pretty much everyone is, you know, MBA is not just about what you do inside the class, but it's it's also a lot about the network. It's about the peer group. It's about what you do outside the class. You know, that could be over over drinks or it could be over, you know, some, some you know, sports or some activities. So, uh, how does how does Cambridge do in terms of you know opening up the students to you know getting a better perspective not just inside class but even outside class? Yeah, you know, when I speak to alums, um, they they always say that um, in the course of their work, whatever they're doing, you know, they they appreciate the the technical knowledge that they learned on the MBA, but for them the the things that they're applying on a day-to-day -day basis in their careers is a lot about the softer stuff. So how they, uh, they become leaders, they become uh, better team players. And when I drill down further, a lot of that comes from how they were able to work with their classmates, right? Whether it was within the class or um, through study groups, through project groups, but also, as you say, through the kind of um, social circles and while on the face of it it looks like yeah we're just going out for a drink going out for a meal maybe we can organize you know a weekend um, skiing etc but all those kinds of experiences are opportunities for students to say well this is what I can contribute to um, this network that I'm trying to build and this is what I would like to get and see how the network that they build can help support them in that journey. So a lot of times when people think about networking, they think of it very much as a transactional kind of thing where, you know, I, I need to get an introduction to a company. Or, Do you know this company? You know, I, I see from the CV, you've worked there before. Can you give me some insights? Can you introduce me to someone? That's kind of a very transactional way of doing it. And, yeah. and there, is there, is, there is space for that as well. But to be able to get to that point really you need to be contributing to that network. You know, you've got to be saying, this is what I have done. And one thing I always tell students, you should never be ashamed about your own background because there's always going to be somebody who finds that invaluable. So you have to say, this is what I've done. This is what I learned. I can help you in ABC, you know. And if you're open as well about what you're looking for, sooner or later, someone's going to be able to help you out in that network. So you've got to be able to, using these social um, interactions, both contribute uh, and build that network. And the network will, will, will ultimately help you. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and to be honest, you know, I've, I've done that mistake as well when, when I was doing MBA because when I, you know, the whole concept of network, network, network was um, uh, perceived very wrongly by me. So at that point of time, I was trying to force myself to have, you know, conversations with people instead of trying to form meaningful relationships with people. And that's something I discovered only after that. Um, so probably that's one thing I would like to change if I was <laughs> uh, talking to a younger self of me that, 
networking is not just about um you know transactional or it doesn't have to be business like like exactly how you mentioned it's it's also about you know understanding the kind of people you're spending time with you know forming relationships um in whatever capacity it is and first and foremost try and see how you can be helpful and supportive to someone instead of just asking them for help all the time so Thank you. Great, great point. I think that would be a really good learning for anybody um, who's considering, you know, doing MBA and learning from the students. Um, great. That's, that's 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 a great point. Um, in terms of the career options, Conrad, I, I wanted to get your view on on this as well. So. You know, there are a lot of career options that people go on to after the MBA. As you mentioned, there's obviously, you know, uh, things like finance or investment banking or consulting or, or even entrepreneurship. Um, how, how does it work? Um, what have you seen that's been the most common at Cambridge? And I'm sure that might have also evolved over the last few years. Do you want to give some thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think the biggest shift in the last, say, three or four years, is many more students are, are go moving into or working in technology companies. So um, I think for, like, the last three years now, our top employers are the likes of Amazon, Google. Uber was uh, one of the top five employers last year. Right? And then there's also the consulting companies, so McKinsey, BCG. And what I've seen is kind of a big drop-off in terms of interest in uh, financial services. Um, I, I think you know sooner or later that that interest in financial services will rebound, right? But really, the big story is the kinds of uh, the high level of interest in technology companies. And if you think about it, it's not too uh, surprising because the the thing about companies like Amazon and Google, um, for one of a better word, we call them technology companies. But really, they are going into every aspect. Um, of consumer be consumer lives of business be business lives. So I think it's quite natural for MBA students to think, well, actually, you know, this these are really exciting times. Um, there's big changes going on. I want to be part of that. So I think that's the big that's that's the main shift that I see. That's really interesting. Do you think? It could also got to do with the fact that the Cambridge University is, 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 you know, has a strong reputation in technology. Do you think the MBA students are, you know, either borrowing um, the kind of knowledge and experience or actually having much more partnerships with other students in the technological aspects of Cambridge universities to try and, you know, get inspired by it? Do you think that's an aspect that's into play over here? I think this, that does play an impact, so uh, play, does play a role. So um, students get lots of opportunities to meet companies in the uh, Silicon Fen area. So there's a lot of spin-outs from here, from the university. Um, Cambridge, as a postcode, attracts some of the highest VC funding per capita anywhere in Europe. Yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of entrepreneurial activity going on in Cambridge. But one thing I always try to tell our, our students is that, you know, you're never going to compete against a geek who has been coding since they were like 12. And really, you don't, you, you, you know, who's, who's been making, tinkering stuff. And really, as an MBA, you know, if, if you've been doing that, that's great. But as an MBA, the value that you bring to uh, a company, you know, a technology company or a startup is going to be not just on the te technical side, but really on how you're going to build that business, how you're going to power that business um, to, to, to get to the next level. Um, what are the sort of softer skills that you picked up during your MBA such that you can work with people who are, going to, who are like very, very cutting edge in terms of the kind of research and kind of the product development that they've done? How are you going to bring all these guys together, put that together in a kind of strategy and, and just run with it because when you're working in tech, something as fast-paced and you know, changing so rapidly as technology, you just have to be able to show that kind of flexibility. And whether you're in a startup, whether you're in an Amazon or a Google, the kind of global kind of behemoth, you need to be able to do that. And that's where really the MBA um, experience 
is critical in giving people that, that kind of instincts or giving them that, that kind of, of, um, of insights and instincts so that they can tr thrive, whether you're in a small startup, whether you're starting up something yourself, you know, all the way up to Amazon and Google. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's it's a good point um, because, you know, one one criticism that MBA sometimes receives is that a lot of the education of the MBA revolves around, you know, these um, case studies which are about mostly about big companies and mostly about, you know, old, slow-moving traditional companies. And the MBAs are sometimes not very suitable for these, you know, fast-moving, nimble startups. Um, what's your view on that? Have you heard of any such criticisms or, 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 or does the course actually take that into uh, account and actually try and be flexible on how the education is passed on? You know, it's funny you, you say this because uh, I, I met an uh, entrepreneur several, I think about several weeks ago, actually, uh, at a conference. Mm -hmm. And she gave, she, I think she described this beautifully. I, I have the slide somewhere where she said, you know, the traditional MBA, if you're thinking of going into uh, a very structured kind of corporate uh, environment where there's a org chart and you're at the top and you've got, you know, several boxes reporting to you and more boxes who are reporting to them, etc. You know, that's kind of one way of thinking of it. Mm -hmm. But if you're in, uh, say, a technology company, uh, a very flat organization, non-hierarchical, or you're, you're in a startup, then the whole picture gets flipped because you're at the bottom and you've got all these guys putting pressure on you. So some of those boxes that are above you, right, would yeah. be suppliers, it could be suppliers, it could be uh, a lot of times it's customers, it could be investors, it could be your own employees, uh, it could be your own family, friends, etc. So her point really was that the MBAs of uh, today and tomorrow really have to be able to figure out what kind of, what, where you are in that picture, right? Are you the type who still wants that kind of, kind of very structured environment? And there are many, many companies who, who still operate like that. You shouldn't be ashamed, you know, to, to be in that, that, that uh, picture. Or, you know, are you going to be the type who prefers to juggle loads of stuff? Yeah. And then you're going to be on that side. And if you're on that side, you know, your, your business card, yeah, it might say chief marketing officer or chief strategy officer, but really what it, what it should say is the chief of doing everything, <laughs> right? And, you know, or the chief of, I don't know what I'm going to be doing today. Exactly. So yeah. I, I think that that's where, you know, the kind of the MBAs, MBAs need to figure out, you know, this is what, we, which, which picture I am and, and be, be quite unashamed about it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's, that's a great point. Um, I was recently talking to a few people at Facebook and I work in product management. So I was talking to a few product management uh, people at Facebook. And in fact, they told me at Facebook, it's a very bottom up culture, like how you mentioned. So in fact, instead of decisions being made um, from the top, a lot of the innovation happens from bottom up. And in fact, <laughs> and the funny thing is a lot of the people compete um, against, you know, who wants to work on some of the innovative stuff uh, and which team wants to work on it. So it's really interesting and, and you correctly mentioned it's a matter of, uh, you know, identifying yourself uh, and then figuring out what kind of environment do you, uh, do you best thrive in and, uh, you know, what, what, what suits you as compared to, uh, you know, other industries. Good point. <laughs> great. Um, yeah, so th that's that's really great um, to hear some of the views, Conrad. Um, now, in, in terms of you mentioned a little bit about how the application process at Cambridge is, is slightly more distinct. Um, do you actually do a more, you know, thorough comparison of how Cambridge should consciously look for applicants? And do you actually see how the recruitment process works for other universities? Um, or, or do you just have your own game plan? <laughs> um, I can't really comment on what other um, schools do, but I think the main thing is really that we have, just like any other business school, we have certain qualities that we look for. Um, and we structure the admissions process around being able to assess and identifying those qualities in our candidates. Um, 
it's evolved over the years, and so we've made changes to the applications, uh, the essay questions, etc. And I think we'll, we might still make some tweaks, but I think we're in quite a good spot at the moment. Um, we're very happy with how our faculty interviews are going, so that gives us a level of consistency mm-hmm. in terms of that interview assessment that we don't think or, or we, we're not confident that, um, say, expanding the pool of interviewers to include people like alumni or current students could, could give us. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So if you had to, you know, mention some key um, criteria points, so how, how would you describe a typical, not typical, an ideal Cambridge applicant? Or is that even an ideal? <laughs> well, maybe instead of me describing what I think, uh, you know, uh, the ideal candidate could be, you know, if I could share um, what employers say about mm-hmm. our students and our graduates, you know, because yeah. that's one of the things that I do a lot, you know, as, as the head of careers, I speak to employers and, and that's the question I ask them. So I was in um, Hong Kong, China just last week. And I spoke to some of our corporate you know, partners, people who've hired our students over the last couple of years. And one thing that, that really struck me was one uh, when the chief HR person, a recruitment person for a uh, leadership program said, you know, our, she, she loved the way that our students are not like other students in the sense that they were, our students are all very bright, but so are all the other MBAs. But mm-hmm. our students are not the type who just talk and deliver presentations. But our students are very down to earth, work really well in teams. People love to work with our students that they've hired, you know, and they make our students make make teams uh, function better than than before. So, I think that would be the kind of uh, that that's great feedback that that we get from our employers, and we look for those same qualities uh, in our students, in our, in our candidates as well. I see. That's that's really interesting. So in terms of the recruitment and the hiring as well, um, one question I had was in terms of geography. Um, you know, how, how do students typically move on? Um, you know, do they do they want to work outside of the home countries or do they tend to go back to where they came from? The The percentage fluctuates from year to year, but I would say an average of about 35 to 40% of our students stay on in the UK immediately after graduation. Um, that's a big jump when you think that probably only 10 to 18 percent uh, of our incoming students apply from the UK, right? So that, that includes non-UK nationals who were working in the UK and they apply. So a big jump of people, who, a big increase in people who stay on in the UK. Then outside the UK, we have about, I think about 30, about one third of people who uh, will be working in Asia. And then after Asia, we're talking about Western Europe and then you know, a small group, smaller group, say in North America and the rest of the world. I see. I see. That's, that's really interesting. Has this um, uh, Brexit and the visa, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure these must have had some kind of impact on the challenges you had. It's a strange thing because at the moment um, we haven't really seen any impact mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Brexit. Obviously, there's been no impact on the visa situation because nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. But there's not been any impact in terms of companies coming to recruit our students. And I think it really boils down to the fact that the companies that want to recruit our students are recruiting our students for global careers. Um so a student who joins, say, Amazon could be working in the UK immediately after the graduation. But if they do well, they could be moving on to Europe or to the States, etc., or to Asia. So companies are really looking for globally minded MBAs, people who could take on global careers. Um, and they're not really looking at just someone who can only work in the UK. Yeah, good point. Um, on when we're talking about recruiting, um, you know, 
sometimes it's important to set the expectations because when I talk to some people who are applying, I try to set the expectations that, you know, it's it's not like you walk into a college and the college does all the hard work in getting you placed. You need to work equally hard in finding job opportunities. Do you find that a challenge? Do you do you find that a lot of students who come in expect you to do all the hard work for them in finding them a job, or do you think um, you need to also set the expectations and you know tell them that they also need to work hard enough to find jobs? What's your what's your view on that? Uh, we do quite a lot in terms of messaging um, to our students in terms of the fact that there are all these provisions, all these services that they can tap into, but ultimately they need to be putting in the hours to brush up on their CV, um, improve their career, uh, sort of their, their case interviewing techniques, assessment center, etc. So I think most students realize this. And also the other thing that students you know, realize soon or acknowledge soon enough is that while you think about like your McKinsey's, your BCG's who have very structured kind of recruitment, um, they're recruiting, they, they have a whole recruitment machine that you go through and then, you know, you join them maybe six, nine months later. The vast majority of jobs are going to be jobs that will be coming up maybe three months um, or very close to when you graduate. And so, if you're, for the most part, most students are going to be in that category, they need to be doing a lot of work from the get-go in terms of like networking with people, um, finding out who to talk to in different industries, different offices in different geographies. So I think very soon students realize that that's only they can do that. Nobody else can, right? And that they need to be investing a lot of that time even before they start the MBA, uh, in terms of expanding their network and getting information about different kind of companies, different kind of industries. Yeah, great point. So you mentioned even before the MBA, is that something you tell them as tips or is there some kind of material you send them before they start so that they can actually start you know, preparing whatever they need to prepare? Or is it something that you just mention as you know pointers? Well, we, the MBA starts in September, but starting from around June, right? So that's about three months before people begin the commence the MBA. We tell them, uh, we start giving them pre-arrival information, and part of that pre-arrival information will be things like, what can what can you be doing in your home country right now, in terms of expanding your network? Um, how can you start writing your CV? Right? How can you use LinkedIn to expand your network? So there's a series of things that people that we, we get our students to do even before they start, even before their first day here in Cambridge. And it's really important that people do that so that um, they can hit the ground running because it's a one-year degree. They need to be able to use their time quite carefully when they're here. Yeah, absolutely. Very helpful. Thanks a lot. I think I think with those tips, uh, it I think the students and the applicants will find it really helpful, uh, like you mentioned, to hit the ground running instead of just waiting until they come here. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, we, we're running out of time, uh, Conrad. Probably just last question I would like to ask you is, um, is there anything that you wish I asked you? <laughs> is there anything else that you do you want to communicate that I haven't asked you yet um i think the the one thing i would love you know your your listeners to to take away is that the mba degree right is still a very valuable degree and there are tons of there are lots of options now in terms of mbas so people should be able to figure out what is the kind of an mba environment that is right for me and not get too fixated about well which MBA right now is top of the ranking or which MBA has gone down the rankings or which MBA is strong in finance think about what which MBA gives you the right kind of environment for you to succeed right and then choose that MBA from, from there on 
Absolutely. No, thanks a lot. Great point. In fact, for anyone listening, uh, if you, uh, Conrad makes like writes really good stuff, go check, do, go check out the CambridgeMBAAdmissions.com and there are some really good uh, tips and pointers um, based on whatever Conrad just mentioned. Um, Conrad, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, the last point, how can people get in touch with you if they have any more questions? Well, I think the you know people should read read the blog which which you very kindly promoted. Um, I'm on Twitter, so it's at Conrad Chua, um, and I, I'll respond to anyone who who pings me something uh, on Twitter. Really, um, if you want to, you feel something a bit, you feel like you want to be uh, a bit more personal. So, question, just send me something on Twitter, and then you know if I follow you, uh, we can then communicate by direct messaging, you know, DM from there on out. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, but I typically don't don't accept uh, many LinkedIn requests because I get I, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests, so um, <laughs> I, I don't accept all of them. And uh, it's also for me, it's kind of difficult because I, I I'm a bit wary about um, accepting a LinkedIn request from someone who later on becomes a candidate, just because from a conflict of interest point of view, I just want to make sure that uh, I I'm completely uh, objective when myself or my team assesses applications. So my advice would be just use Twitter to come contact me or um, if you've got a general sort of question, just email mba-inquiries at jbs.cam, spelled C-A-M, dot A-C, dot U-K. Perfect. Perfect. I think I think a great point is, and in fact, if anyone has any questions, you can always feel free to email me, avinas at com. I can run it past you, Conrad, and then if, if it's something that's worthwhile, I can always send that across to you. All right, great. It's been great speaking to you, Avinash. Perfect. Thank you. And and of course, the last point I wanted to mention is I'm sure Cambridge is going to a lot of um, uh, MBA fairs. Uh, maybe people can maybe find you in one of the fairs. Yeah, and if you do do meet me in the fairs, just uh, let me know that you heard it heard me on this podcast. I'll let Avinash know. I'm sure he'll he'll be very happy to know that people connected with me uh, after listening to this podcast. Absolutely, thanks a lot for that, uh, Conrad. Thanks a lot for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, have a have a great day. All right, you too. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to the MBAJam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.